Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you something, people. My guest, this is the third time she's been on the show, and she first did it nine years ago. She was episode 150, and then she did it almost six years ago, and she was episode 572, and now she'll be episode 933. It's just amazing, and I, I met her. I've known her husband. We did stand-up comedy together back in the day, and he always had luxurious hair, and it still looks good. Not as good, but it still looks good, and she, you know, she's always worked. Since, since I've talked to her, she's always worked, but just right now, it's, it's funny. Like, she's just blowing up. She's everywhere. She went to the Emmys. She, she's on a great show. She's on some... We're going to talk about all of it. And my guest is Rose Abdu. How you doing, Rose? Hello. It's great to be back with you, Steve. It's it's amazing. I remember you did it the first time. You've, you've gone through my three, like, metamorphoses of my show. You did the first time in studio in Burbank, which That's John right. also did. And then you did it in my Skype age when we did an audio Skype. And then when I moved back east, I kept it going. And I actually, I actually like the Zoom better because... You can, I can interview people anywhere because it's like in Philadelphia. I'm not going to get people, but uh, it's great. So how have you been? You know, I, I want to talk to you. First of all, Pictionary. Tell me about Pictionary. You're doing the game oh shows and it, I just saw that. Tell me about this. It must be so it, cool. Perfect timing to do your show today because my Pictionary episode airs today. I actually did seven different episodes and I always played against Vanessa Mitchell, who's a stand-up, and uh, Jerry O'Connell hosted. It's really fun. Instead of the old-fashioned magic marker on a big pad of paper, there's this newfangled big iPad situation, and you have a stylus, and you have to go really fast, but you're encouraged to use colors, which really it's really can trip you up because you have to, like, click on. There, it's just more um, high-tech than your standard at-home Pictionary game, but we had a lot of fun and played with a bunch of different couples, and um, and it's, you'll see. It's just it's really It's like... You, we pretend we're in Jerry O'Connell's living room, and he's just hosting it. It turned out good. How does that happen? Like, does your agent call and say, "Hey, Rose, we got a Pictionary," or is it someone came out that likes your work? Or how does like how do you get on game shows? Like, that's not a contestant. You know, as a panelist. that's a that's a great question. I know that the um, charity uh, they they ask hacks to participate in a game show, and Gene uh, Smart asked me to do Celebrity Family Feud. So I did, and we ended up winning. We were against Abbott Elementary, and then we won $25,000 for Feeding America. So uh, publicity people for Pictionary saw me on Celebrity Family Feud and thought, hey, she would be good for Pictionary. So they called my manager, and then they asked if I'd like to do seven episodes, and I said yes. What was Family Feud like? Because, you know, we're around the same age, and, and it was such a big show when we were kids. And Richard Dawson, I mean, Richard Dawson, he kissed so many women. Like, you think exactly. back, it's like, it's like, but what is it like when you sit there and, you know, you're, you know, little Rose Abdu watching Family Feud never probably thought, oh, one day I'll be on it, because they didn't even have celebrity. What was that like to be on there? Was it like, just, were you nervous? Because you're like, holy shit. It was mind-blowing. At first, I was like, oh, this is exciting. And then they take you in the studio. And all of a sudden you see the lights and then they changed it for COVID. They had us at individual desks. So I kind of missed that whole like standing in a row with your family or your cast and, you know, cheering each other on. We were kind of at separate desks, which was weird. But once the lights and the cameras hit and the audience is there and Steve Harvey's a great host of it, he comes out. Everything you think you like at home, it's so easy to come up with the answers and you're yelling at the TV. Why aren't they saying the most obvious thing? 
every single answer that you think makes sense falls out of your head. I swear to God, it's like, it's so much different playing it in, on, you know, in the studio than it is at home. And he asked the question, what would, what was the question? It was like, what would a, a plumber do if he were a magician at a show? What would he pull out of his butt if he was a magician? And I'm like, a plumber, magician. And Steve, all I could think of was the Tidy Bowl Man. So I said the tidy, like no crowd they ever survey is going to say the Tidy Bowl Man. But I, <laughs> my mind went back to the mid 70s TV commercial that would play during the Richard Dawson family feud. That's all I could think of. It was crazy. But you guys won, which is good. But we ended up winning. Now, what, what charity did you guys play for? Feeding America. And now, is that something so that, that was Gene's idea or your idea? How, do you, like, how did you come up with the charity? That was Gene's idea. So Gene asked me to come play, and, and we just had a ball. I would do it again because I really want I, – I, I like game shows. It's very high pressure. It's just so different than, you know, doing any kind of acting on camera. And um, Pictionary didn't feel like the like such a time constraint, but Family Feud was like you had to really, you know, think of things quick. But I would love to do it. I heard they're doing Celebrity Jeopardy. I want to try that. You you know, so I was going to say Jeopardy. What's funny is we watch Jeopardy. Me and Joanne watch it every night, and and yeah. I, I'm good at it. But I know if if I went on one, I would. I don't know how I would do, but it, it'd be like all topics I didn't know. Like I know they give you them in advance, but it'd be like oh, you know you know, 18th century literature and this, and I'd be like, what the, you know, I mean, if it's sports, acting, music, and I love the You're ones where there. you combine stuff, you know, the ones, right. where, but it's good. So hacks, you know, I got to tell you, and I, I, and it's funny because you're married to a gentleman who used to do stand up comedy. So it's, it's, you, you know, the world, I mean, that's, what's funny. You know, when you talk to comics and that's what I think resonated with me so much, I watched the show and, and it is just, it's a great, great show. And I don't say that because you're on it, but I, it, it stays true to the craft. It stays true to the the ego and the insecurities that us comics have. And yes. it was great. How did that come about? And when and when when you got the part, did you think it would just... I mean, the critical acclaim is amazing. The cast is amazing. But how did that come? Was that an audition or was it an offer? Or how did yeah. it take me through it? First of all, I love hearing that true stand-ups that know the world like you and John and, you know, your whole crowd really love the show because that's so, it's just so gratifying. And because, you know, one false note and that whole community would have been like, come on, you know, and at the time it was called the Untitled Jean Smart Project. And I just loved her work and I knew I wanted to do anything that she was involved in. So they sent the script to my agents and manager and the, there was a housekeeper named Yanira her longtime housekeeper in this Las Vegas mansion. And I just thought, she, I love the the lines where, um, you know, the new comedian, Hannah, the writer, comes to see her and I just offer her this list of beverages, you know. And I just thought that says everything about this woman that's supposed to be like a combination of Joan Rivers and a bunch of other people, that she has every single thing you could ever want to drink in her house. And it just appealed to me. So I said to John, you know I hear the world is closing down in a couple days. It was like March 4th and everything shut down March 14th. I said, I want to make a tape for this. And, you know, some of my agents were like, you know what? This seems like it's a housekeeper. I go, there's something about this pilot. I just think it's fantastic. I really want to make a tape for this. So we went in John's office, set up the camera, and I did a I did an on-tape audition and sent it. Didn't really hear anything till the following May. And then they told me I was pinned and they named the character Yanira. And then when I had a Zoom with the producers, because everything was still shut down, they asked me if I had a name that I would like more than that. And I said, yes, I think she should be Josefina. 
because my mother knew a woman named Josefina. And I just could picture Deborah Vance yelling, Josefina. So at the time, we it was called the Untitled Gene Smart Project pretty much for the whole eight episodes that we did it. And finally, they kept saying, I don't know if people understand the name Hacks, but the producers and Gene and we all, the cast, loved the name Hacks. So we just like, you know, just thought, let's go with it and call it Hacks. I mean, they didn't ask me, but they were all going back and forth about it. And I'm so glad they stuck to that title because I think it's just perfect. Well, it, and that's it, how it happened. It, 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 it resonates, and, and you remember it. It's like, yeah, if it's something longer, you know, you know, it's something. But and with comics, you know, I mean, we all any show about comedy that's called Hacks, a comic's going to watch at least once because yes. you know we all know Hacks. The guys with the arms Thanks. bit, or you know, whatever. I'm not going to mention any by name. I just, I don't, I perform every once in a while, and I, I'll talk to John about that. As a guy who's doing the same act that he did when me and John were working with him in Philly, but it's just sad. But uh, so what's it like to, okay, with Hannah, because, you know, did you know going in that Lorraine Newman is her mom? Because as you, as someone who's from Second City and who's someone who's been, you know, in that background, Lorraine Newman is like a god. I mean, you know, I mean, yes. she was, yes, she was, exactly. Said, Steve, did you know I she love was? that you said that because I met Lorraine Newman at, I have a friend, Holly Payne, and she gives this great um, clothing. It's like, like a clothing exchange. And we used to do it every year. And, they call it hot lady hoarders, which is hilarious to me. And I met Lorraine Newman and I said, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm just such an, I was like speechless. I, I, I just loved her and I, and I gushed over her and she was such a nice person. She's still such a nice person. But that day that I met her, she was so gracious and we were, you know, picking out clothes and she said, Oh, I have a teenage daughter and you know, she might like this. So I go, Oh, we'll try this. And I actually picked. So when I met Hannah the first day, I said, Hannah, I met your mom years ago. It was like at this point, like nine or 10 years ago. And they said, I actually chose some sweaters for you when you were a little girl. <laughs> so it was like such a fun you know, way to tell her that it's like, hey, I already know your mom. She is the most naturally, she's just so naturally gifted, her timing. And she's just a lovely, lovely individual. I just really like being around her. She's just like, I mean, I told Lorraine, I go, you've done such a great job with your offspring. They're just incredible people. And she's really like one of those people that loves to hear about the old tiny days of comedy. And you know, she's a very, her stand up show is incredible too. So it was really, um, really a joy to work with her. Well, also, Gene Smart, you know, Gene Smart's one of those people. It's so funny when you think about it. You know, she's nominated for Hacks and then she was nominated for Mayor of Easttown. She's just such, and she's been around forever and she's always worked. You know, you always sit there and look at people's work and you're like holy crap she was a designing woman you know and then you go That's oh right. my god what is it like to work with her because you know i mean i'm sure you've ran into people who have maybe egos but she just seems like she's just cool what was she it like is the coolest she's so down to earth she's another one that when i met her i i was gushing over her because i had just seen her in um she played the mother in dirty john that series and i just thought she was so incredible and i had seen her in fargo and i just I just love her. She's the coolest, most down to earth person. And she's just like all about making the scene great. You know, very, um, you know, I used to hear interviews with actors who would go, she's a very generous scene partner. She's generous. And I kind of didn't understand what that meant. And now I really get it. It's like, you just know when the person in the scene with you is trying to make you look good. And you're also doing that for them. And that's where I really do think second city actors, second city trained people like myself, can be good at this because your job is to make your partner look good. It's not about like yourself. It's about being in the scene and being real with the other person. And I just felt instantly like, 
I work for you and I love working for you. So I just thought Josefina loves Deborah. She just, you know, there's no, there's no resentment there. Like she always treats me like we have this shared history for many, many years. As soon as we did our first scene together, I thought, wow, this is, she, she just makes it easier. I, I really, I can't say enough about how much I just want to get to do more scenes with her. Now, when you audition for Josefina, where does you get the accent from? I know you have your, your, um, you have a, a you're diverse culturally. You know, you have a different yes. uh, nationalities, and you know, and very, and you're, you know, you just posted something on Facebook about being a Latina actor. Yeah. And and where did you find the accent? Was did, like I talked to someone. I talked to Yul Vasquez, who when he did the 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 mad the gay bully on Seinfeld, he pulled it. His mother was Cuban. He pulled it from yeah. his mom. He went. I yeah. did the accent. Where did you find this accent? Because it, it nails it. But it's, there's so many accents you could have done. Where did, where did yes. it come from? Well, because they said Yanira, and then I get to switch it to Josefina, I just thought, I just felt she was Dominican. And my mother was born in the Dominican Republic, and I'm just imitating my mother. But it's more like this woman that we knew that was Dominican that my mother also knew. And she, and she's, um, it's really, I imitate my mother a lot. I mean, I did it in Raven. I did it in my best friend's wedding. And <laughs> my mother's 95 years old. She still has not lost her accent. She came here in 1960 and she said, you know, honey, it's like without imitating mama, you really don't have much of a career because a lot of your roles, like the curb your enthusiasm, that's me. And that's a raven, that's mama. So like, I am very lucky that I get to imitate her and, and the way she speaks. But I love Josefina because I... I said to the producers, I feel like this character is more than just, she's not just her maid. I mean, she doesn't dress like the rest of the people that work at the house. And I felt like she was more of the major of the, of the, of the Deborah Vance mansion. So she's the house manager. I love that one episode in the first season where I get to say, I am the house manager. And what I say goes. Well, it's funny. We always like, Joanne and I will say, because we're both friends with you on Facebook, we'll go, oh, Rose is on something. We always watch it. And it's always good. And it's always, and I, I still get that thing. You know, we go, I mean, I've interviewed so many actors, but Joanne will yell like, oh, Spencer Garrett's on TV. And, oh, okay. You know, man. Oh, it's a, Gregory Harrison's on this Hallmark movie. And I, I, and I, I'm always, it's funny. I'm, I'm sort of happy. I'm proud. I'm like, it's so good to see people working. And for you with the working, what was it like when the pandemic happened? Because a lot of actors and you, especially probably it affected you because you have the Second City background. A lot of actors didn't really like taping. They liked the live audition. What? How did it affect you? Because someone from you, you know how to work a room. I mean, that's something, you know, Second City live. How did it affect you? Were you were you bummed? And now that it, I heard it's pretty much not going to go back to in-person, yeah. what was it like for you with your background and being someone who's been gone on tons and tons of auditions? Steve, that's such a great question and it's something that I haven't been asked yet and I've been thinking about so much how different it it is to go from, you know, that was my favorite part. Almost my favorite part was the audition process and booking the job and then after that doing the job is, was the difficult part. But I love meeting the casting directors and doing, you know, it's your chance to act that day. I think I heard a Brian Cranston quote that said, you know, the audition, it's your chance to act that day. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. You get a chance to act that day, win people over, take direction from the casting director, read with a person who knows what they're doing. No offense to my wonderful husband, John, but he had to become 
an actor during the pandemic. I mean, he was my scene partner. He's the only person I could see. And I had to make my room, that's my closet room, a taping room. And it really wasn't, I didn't go gently into the process. I was, I was annoyed and I was, and my manager would try and say, well, at least you don't have to drive across town for the audition. But the amount of time it took to like set up my equipment and do it, then I got better and better at it. So I was very grateful to the experiences. And I was very lucky that I, I kept getting auditions. So I, I really, I have to say, I was very lucky. I worked throughout the pandemic. I did United States of Al for Chuck Lorre. I did a couple episodes of that. I did all the whole first season of Hacks. I did um, Saved by the Bell. I was continually working and, and going to the studios and testing and wearing a mask and wearing a shield. And, and I'm really very fortunate, but it, but it, I miss it. I miss the idea of like meeting the casting people and asking them for direction. So when you make your audition tape, you feel like it's in a vacuum. And then on the other hand, I started to embrace it and think like, well, you know what? This is exactly my choice. So if I get one of these roles, it's all, it's all me. I had to direct myself. I had to edit myself. I had to make all my choices. And, you know, poor John had to read, has to read all the, the other characters with me. And he's, he's gotten really good. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I've talked to different actors who said the audition part made it feel like you have a job. Like you get up, you get dressed, you drive to an audition. And then, and now it's like where you can, you can do it a thousand times, but you know, right. I've talked to people like Ray Abruzzo when he got cast as little Carmine in, in the Sopranos, it was originally for a big fat guy. And if you know, Ray, Ray's a very yes. thin guy. And he said, he got the part from like one little way he creaked his neck in reaction. But when I, I would think as an actor, when you're doing the taped audition, you get into your head too much. I think, you know, you don't, especially as you as someone with a background in improv and Second City, you're used to the spontaneity. And I would think that sometimes like John, would, you know, John's reading with you and then you're thinking, oh, I didn't do that right. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. But before when you go in, it's like, yeah, I fucked up. You know, like I, I left this audition, I didn't do well. I mean, it, it's, has that? Do you get into your own head when you do a taped audition? No, I don't. I don't, and I'm very, um, I'm very lucky to have him because I think he has a great eye as a as a director, and I know when it's like this is diminished returns on my investment. I know when to stop and when to it's like just stop now after this third take because it's not going to get any better. It might get worse and. You know, I, I, I think that I, I have to say, I, I've talked to other actors and they say they'll do it well into the night where they just keep going and going. And I go, no, just cut it off. It's like when you're apartment hunting, you've seen three good ones. Just pick your favorite of the three. Just do it. I very rarely do more than three or four uh, takes. Sometimes really simple ones, they'll take forever because you're thinking like, oh, there's a shadow and I don't like what I'm wearing. Let me change it. So I, I really, I miss the days of putting on the outfit and getting in the car and going to meet the people. The thing I don't miss is I didn't love certain um, casting directors would put you in a room, in the waiting room with all the other people going for your same role. And that, I never loved that part of it. I mean, they're all talented and you talk and sometimes you run into people that would talk to you almost too much to try and, I don't even know if it was to distract you or because they were nervous. I don't miss that energy. I don't miss mixing with people that are also going for your role. Because sometimes I would sit there and put my casting director hat on and think, well, shoot, I'd give it to her. She looks better for this than me. And then you don't want that energy either. So there, I'm, I was trying to just look for the advantages of doing it alone in your room. And then this is, I know you'll appreciate this, is a strange uh, thing that happened is uh, in 2011, I had appendix cancer. 
and I was very sick. And my sister visited me and brought me this beautiful blue blanket that was my chemo blanket. And everyone said, oh, get rid of that so it doesn't remind you of those days. And I needed a good background that was like a nice light color in my room because I didn't want to paint a wall for a taping wall and I have a screen. So one day I just took the blue blanket and threw it over the screen and it was like the perfect background because it absorbed sound and it was the right color. So there's something very, I like that appreciation of gratefulness when I approach every part where I look at this blanket and go, look, this used to be on my lap during chemo and now it's the background for this tape I'm making. And I just really, I just really, it's the, the idea that I even get to do this. I'm so grateful. It's not lost on me how, how cool it is that I even get to do something that I've loved. You know, since I'm a kid, I loved watching TV and I wanted to be a person on TV, not to the point where I was like, oh, I'm dying to be an actress because I really wanted to be a newscaster when I was a little girl. I, I might've said this to you in one of our other interviews, but, but I really think this is something else that I get to be like the people that I used to watch, you know? I want to talk about the Emmys, but before that, before I lose my train of thought, I posted something about goldfish crackers, and and uh, and I don't trust people. And now I'm I couldn't decide if you're an anti goldfish person or you like goldfish crackers. You posted, we'll you know, talk about it. I I I love that you're you're because I, I think I remember that. I love when you post about food. I have to tell you this before I lose my train of thought. When you take pictures of your meals, I'm always I always want. I always want whatever you're cooking. But it's like good eating at the Coop House. I'm like, why aren't I at the Cooper House? Like, I, I really, I love the stuff you make, like almost exclusively. Like, I think there was like one thing with the sausage that I went, nah, I wouldn't eat that. But everything else you create, I love. But the goldfish crackers always appeared in every craft service table. And I always, I loved them as a child. Pizza flavored goldfish crackers. And I used to love them. Then people would like stick their hand. That's the one thing that changed with COVID. Just scoop up goldfish crackers. And I thought, I don't want to touch all those fish that everybody else has been eating. That's disgusting. So I stopped eating goldfish crackers. But I loved them when I was a little girl. I thought they were the best. But now, no more. No more. How has Crafty changed? It's funny, you know, I when, when I would do some ex background work and then Joanne did background work, you know, you'd always come home with a bunch of those na- the Nature Valley bars. Right. You, just, you just put the shit in your pocket. You know, you, oh, right. I, got a, I got a bag. I'm going to put it in. And, and we had so many bars. I mean, I think we, right. when we moved back east, we still had like 80, <laughs> 80 bars. And then uh, Joanne it. would come home with like, oh, I got this. Or, you know, you'd see like a little pack of oh, things. How the is, best part of working. How has okay, Crafty changed? The craft service has totally changed because I realized now it's in a tent, but there are little holes, like little window screens, and you have to go up to the window and order what you'd like from the person behind the, behind the counter. So they're still very plentiful, but you have to say, excuse me, could I get, yes, one granola bar and see over there that stick of cheese? No, not that one, the one next to it. And I realized that my, my shyness of wanting to like ask a person for snacks, it's really helped not gain weight on productions because you're just not on your own going let me graze at the table you have to ask someone to hand it to you through this little hole it's taken away the fun i gotta tell you steve i would and now and how has it also taken away i'm sure because you know it's an old thing you know back of the camera front of the camera but they usually get along you know i know sound guys who are the best guys but has it yes it's it's changed probably because now you guys are pretty much isolated so is it is it is it weird? Like you don't get that that community feeling. Like like when you when you were in the Gilmore Girls because it ran for a long time. You guys were all probably like a community. Like oh, you know right. the sound man and then the cameraman are coming back. Mm. 
and you interact with them and you joke and you bust chops. But what's it like now? Is it two different worlds? Like you guys don't even really get to really different between the, that's a great question between the first season of hacks and the second season. It was really, it's very different. The first season here we are trying to get to know each other and we have to sit six feet apart. There's a COVID officer telling you, you know, don't interact. You have to keep your mask and shield mask and shield on between takes. So you don't get to know people, just their eyes. You're sitting very far apart. So you're trying to like talk between, there's a lot of downtime where you're waiting for setups. It's really hard. And I felt like just shy. It's hard to get to know your fellow cast members when you're, when you're isolating like that. And at lunch used to be the time where you'd like maybe eat with people and kind of get to know them, your hair and makeup people or props people. No, you have to take your meal that's prepackaged in a little box and go to your trailer and eat by yourself. So it's an adjustment. But then the second season, things loosened up a little bit. We were all vaccinated and all test. They test all a lot, a lot, a lot of PCR tests, rapid tests. And we got to at least be near closer to each other. It seemed like the second season we get to hang out and spend more time together. But yeah, it's very different. And then I did the new show I'm working on. They had a premiere party and we ended up, it was outdoors so we could all be around each other. People were saying hello to me. I didn't know who they were because on the set, I only saw them, you know, they had hats on and I only saw their eyes. So they're like, hey, Rose. And I thought, I don't know who you are. He was like, I'm the DP, you know, and they would reintroduce themselves. And it was, it blew my mind. I was like, I'm seeing your whole face for the first time. It was like meeting people for the first time after I'd already worked with them for months. Very weird. Now, what was the Emmys like? I know you had great pictures, and you have a picture here with Chris McDonald, who everyone loves Chris McDonald, and Shooter McGavin, and he's just one he's of those guys. He's, he's great in everything he does, and he's he's like you. He's versatile. You can do comedy. You can do drama. You know, he's not, he's not you know, a man of one hat. You know, you say, oh, well, I'm sure yeah. McGavin. But what, what were the Emmys like? Because as an as and you so as a kid, you know, you love TV, and I'm sure you probably grew up watching award shows. Yeah. And then to be there, I would I would think it would just be. It would bring a tear to my eye. It would be overwhelming if I went yeah. because you're like, holy shit! I'm at the really Emmys. Cool. I mean, yeah, it was really really cool. It's a lot a lot bigger than I thought it would be. I don't know what I was thinking, but at the Microsoft Theater, I think it holds like six thousand people. There were so many people, and it's so overwhelming. And you sit. My seats were pretty good. I sat with Chris McDonald. He predicted every single category. I couldn't believe it. I was like, uh, you got to put money on this. Every single category he got correct. It was, it just blew my mind. But I was really, really happy. Of course, thrilled for Gene. You know, I, of course we wanted to win. Hex lost to uh, the Screen Actors Guild to Ted Lasso and then the Emmy both years for Best Comedy to Ted Lasso. So it's one of those things where you go, oh, the category is just tough. Like there were just so many good comedies. So it's like, I almost felt like I could relax after we didn't win <laughs> because you're waiting to see like, am I going to run and we have to be up there with the whole production? You know, it, it was exciting. So I wondered what it would be like to just go as a person, just going to the Emmys who enjoys TV without that nervous feeling of like, are they going to call our names, you know, in the category, but it was exciting and it made me want to go again. It made me want to do it again. It's, it was a very, very big honor to be in a show that was nominated. Now, did you get a gift bag? I did get a gift. No, no, I've heard I these, I've heard these things are elaborate. The most, well, this one that I got had the most expensive, unusual uh, blow dryer. I got a great, <laughs> I got an amazing blow dryer. It, it's so powerful. It blew the pictures off the wall in my bathroom. 
<laughs> what else? What else is in the bag? What else? Like what? You know, for you Hollywood big shots, what else is in the bag? Well, the fun part of the Emmy gifting suite, they sent, they take you to a gifting suite and you get to meet people who like have invented products. So it's every from here's a super fancy carrier for your little dog. You know, this lady invented these hand blown um, things to smoke. I don't smoke, but it was to smoke. Uh, I don't know what you call those things, a one hitter, whatever. It was like a hand glass blown thing. And then this beautiful necklace with a butterfly that's this girl designed these jewels. So you listen to their, their, um, you know, spiel, and then they give you like, you know, everything from really unusual tortilla chips to champagne and tequila. And it really, it's really something else. And I, I was just so fascinated by the people who are, they want to take a picture with you in exchange for giving you this gorgeous makeup and stuff. And I, I just thought, isn't it funny that like the people who need all that, it's like once you can afford to buy your own stuff, people can't stop giving you free stuff. Kind of weird. I, so I donated a lot of my well, yeah. I, I always said that I used to wait tables at Planet Hollywood, and they'd always comp the celebrities. I'm like, well, the celebrities, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger does, doesn't need a free meal. Meal, right? You know, it's like it's like you know, the person sitting there with like eight yes. kids who's 26. I think yes, people, they, I think they're people. the ones who need. To. Now, so now I how, gave a lot of my people. Now, now, how do you choose what to wear? Because it's a big night, and you know, you're you're going to be photographed the whole time. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like you know, it was funny because Joanne wore a dress to the. Uh, the rehearsal dinner was a flower dress and we were both like Rose would love this dress. We, love just her. Tell her. And I know I'll get to tell her when she comes in to say hello. She always looks red carpet ready. Your wife. She really, really has phenomenal taste, like her wedding gown and your, she has great taste. It's hard. It's like, I, I love clothes and I love fashion. So I really, it's like you have to pick something that's going to look good from every angle and it can't be too shiny. It can't be tight. It can't, it's got to be comfortable. But the thing that I learned, I watched um, Cynthia Erivo, who's an actress that I absolutely think is amazing. And I saw her at one award show and she had on sort of Doc Martin combat boots with her outfit. And I thought that is so brilliant. I just love the idea of like a high fashion thing with like really sensible footwear. And thank goodness I wore incredibly sensible shoes to the Emmys because first of all, a lady behind me spilled, they got wine, wine in the intermission commercial break and she spilled wine. I'm sitting there with McDonald. I go, the hem of my dress is soaking wet. My feet were in this giant puddle of white wine. So I thought, oh, here you are. You're at the Emmys. You're so glamorous. And now your feet are like soaking wet. It was ridiculous. But we have to walk really far. You walk so much further than you think. And at the end of the night, Steve, all you see are these women in these glorious gowns just holding their high heels and just walking with their bare feet because it's it's just so it's such a long night. And I just don't like to be uncomfortable. I'm at an age now where I'm just like, forget the high heels. Just be comfortable. So I I just choose clothes based on comfort now. I hope they look good. (laughs) Were you... um stars you've worked with so many people in your career but were you star stricken at all at the emmys of meeting someone or, or that, does that not happen when you get to a certain point like for me i'd be like if i met springsteen i'd be like oh i've interviewed Stephen van zandt i've interviewed nils lofgren but if i met bruce i'd be like you know even when i interviewed Stephen van zandt it was like me talking to you and i'm like holy crap there's i love springsteen i love the sopranos yeah. do you ever get starstruck or did you get it at the award show no no i don't and i i feel like oh they're just people like I worked with, you know, I, I'm still fortunate that I worked with like huge people like Barbara Streisand and George Clooney. And so I've worked with them and you just see that they just say and do things that are like, Oh, that's like me, like just normal people that I don't, I don't have that thing. I think if I met, um, 
certain fashion designers or people like an author. I, you know, I can't think of who I would have that with where I'm just like, I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't have that around very many people. You know, yeah. I was so lucky, like at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, I got to meet Fran Drescher, who I always loved and say hello to her. And, you know, she's a SAG president now. And that was really fun. And I got to say hello to Jeff Goldblum. That was fun. And But I, I don't, I really don't have that with people. Now, you're currently in Reboot, that's on Hulu, and it's a very funny show, and I, once again, it's funny, you're, you're playing a writer, which your husband is, and so yeah. I'm sure that you know, John would, can give you insight, even though you don't need it as an actor, but how did Reboot come about? And then you work with Fred Melamed, who's just, Fred oh, Melamed, he's, he's been on the show, he, you know, he used to be like a sports announcer, he was like the voice of CBS. Yeah, it's, it's his he path. has the most beautiful voice. He's great. And I loved a movie that he actually, Lake Bell did the movie In a World. And I remember him being, I think he played her father in that movie. And I just love that voice movie about the voiceover world. And um, that's another one. An audition came up and my managers and agents sent it to me. And I thought, Selma, this is, this is perfect. I did Laughter on the 23rd Floor, which was about the writer's room for your show of shows with Sid Caesar, Mel Brooks, Neil Simon. And uh, I played that character for I did the show for six months in Chicago we did eight shows a week so I knew that my comedy character was a combination of Selma Diamond and Lucille Callan so I it just it was instantly familiar to me and at the time I did the play in Chicago it was 19 I think 94 they did an article on me in the Chicago Tribune saying this is you know art imitating life because I was an actor at Second City but we also write our all our own material at Second City so I knew the experience of being one of the only women in the writer's room with all guys. I mean, there's so many more men that worked at Second City at the time I worked there. So it's funny because Selma's first line in, I thought, I love that they named her Selma because she is so much like Selma Diamond. And one of the first lines was, oh, three women, that's six more tits than any writer's room I've ever been in. And I just love that they ended up changing it for the, for my first episode. But I did very, it was a very, very short audition and I made the tape and I had my own little coffee cup. That's one fun thing about doing the tape at your house. You get to use your own props if you want to. And I heard from them very quickly that I got the part and I was just thrilled. So yeah, that that role, recurring role came from a little tape that I made here, right here in my little, where I am right now in my taping room. What's it like working with Paul Reiser? I'm a huge Paul Reiser. Ever since Diner, huge. I'm a huge fan because he's just good, even his stand-up. And you know, his story is one where if people, if you don't know, he got in the movie Diner because he actually just tagged along with his friend for an audition. And Barry Levinson actually built the role of Modell. It was very like, he had like one or two lines and they just loved Incredible. him so much. And he's, he seems so personable. He just seems like a mensch. Like, what was it like working with him? I have to say, back to your earlier question, he's a person I got a little starstruck around because I loved Diner. I went to see Diner with my friend Christine Agley at the Maple Theater in Michigan. And we were just like, who is this guy that goes, you can eat that sandwich? No, but you can eat the sandwich. Like he, to me, was that was one of the best comedic performances. And when I met him, I gushed over him a little bit. He's the nicest, coolest guy. And he's very, his ear for the timing is incredible. He gave me a couple pointers. And he really was like, you know, just take one more beat before you say that. And then he actually gave me a lot of compliments, too, on my instincts. And he's just great. I want to do more, more and more and more scenes with him. He's fantastic. He just believed he's really that guy too, Gordon. He's he's the perfect he's the perfect choice for that role. You know, he replaced Michael McKean in that part, and Michael McKean would have also been fantastic. But I think Paul Reiser for 
to play Rachel Bloom's father. I just think he's perfect for that part. And I love that he brings us in as these old, you know, three old writers to help these young kids and the idea of um, the two generations of comedy and how things have changed between the way we used to write jokes, our characters, and the way young people approach comedy is, I love that dynamic the way that I love it in Hacks when Ava and Deborah Vance get together and you see generationally what younger people find funny, what older people find funny. I, I love watching things like that. Now, when you work with younger actors, you know, I know Han Hannah's the lead, but then there's her, you know, this other staff or, you know, younger. And then, you know, on this show, you have the young writers. Do you, do they come to you as a mentor ever? Because I know like, you know, and John will probably appreciate this too. When we were young doing stand-up in Philly, and it goes like Adam McKay and Paul Tompkins, you know, but Paul really didn't really, Paul was in his own world. He was completely different. But I, for me personally, I love when like an, an older, even if it was only like eight years older than me or whatever, comic would come and give me insight. Not, oh, you should do it this way, young man, but, you know, oh, you know, this. Do you, do people come to you for that because you are a veteran and you, you know, I mean, you see, you know, you look at your group of friends, you know, it's Nia, it's uh, um, Kate Flannery, Susie, and, you know, so you have, you've been around it. You guys have all had success. Do people ever come to you like to mentor or do you think the younger generation is like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too good for that? I, I have found, especially I've been lucky to work with people like everything from Saved by the Bell to Reboot and the younger people that I work with are all very almost reverential of the stuff that I've done that they've said, you know, I've watched you in this. And um, a couple people have said, you know, that's what made me want to be an actor is seeing you on earlier shows like Gilmore Girls or That's So Raven. These kids, the shows have been on for so long. I was like, wow, I'm really the old, I'm the old guard now. Cause I remember the thrill for me when I started Gilmore Girls was I got to be in a van with Liz Torres and Sally Struthers. And they're telling old stories about, you know, back in the day and all in the family. And I was just like, oh my God, this is blowing my mind. I'm, you know, I was a 10 year old watching that in my, my house and in Detroit. And I realize now to these kids, I am who Sally and Liz were to me. And that it's a really cool feeling. And they're very nice. They ask a lot of questions. And I have found, yeah, young actors, they, they really are, uh, they love to TV like I love TV. It just keeps going. It's fantastic. Now, I would say, like, say by the bell, it's funny. I, I haven't, I watched the first season. I never saw an episode. I maybe saw one or two. And it's funny. Me either. I, I never, I never watched it. But then I, I don't know why I was flipping. You know, you go through that thing. Joanne watches a lot of network TV. And like right now, and she always, we have a big argument because the show Manhunter, I kept saying, I want to see it. And she goes, oh, yeah. and she never, and, she, and then all of a sudden I come home one night and she's watching it. I go, what the hell? And she goes, oh, well, you never, you never really said it. And so I was sitting there, I think it was just something out of necessity. I heard the new Saved by the Bell was, was good. And then I watched the first season and, uh, and now you're, now what, what episodes are you in? Are you in the first season or the second season? I'm in the first season. I think it was the first season. And I played Ms. Mandrake, an English teacher. I did a really long one that I think got cut completely, but I'm in a couple. And the funny part about it is they play clips. NBC, I guess, plays clips in the back of taxi cabs in New York. So most people have taken like pictures of the screen in the back of their cab in New York where it's a scene with me and Haskiri Velasquez, who's this incredibly talented girl that's um, Daisy on Saved by the Bell. And they're like, hey, I was in a cab and I caught your scene on Saved by the Bell. So I haven't really seen all of them, but the ki- they were super talented kids on that show. Gosh. And and they really made it like have a social um, 
commentary and a really, really interesting points they do. It's, it's like people can watch it and learn something without feeling like they're being lectured to. It's not as silly, I think, as the first rendition of Saved by the Bell. But I think Reboot is so funny because so many shows, the opening um, episode talks about how many shows were rebooted. And when you think about Saved by the Bell, Full House, Gilmore Girls, like there's so many shows that people revisited. And uh, I guess people, someone asked me why, why I thought that was happening. And I go, I don't know. I guess we're in sort of a nostalgia craze where people kind of want to go back to the times where things were simpler. But what I love about Reboot is it takes that premise to just retool something and really shows you the behind the scenes of, a, of an 80s hit sitcom. And that's what I think. That's why I think the show is so good. Well, you know what bothers me? The only thing that bothers me about the show is it's Hulu because I, I, we really liked it. And you want to binge it. You know, you, you sit, because we're yeah. so used to binging. And then, and then you sit there and you go, oh, wait a second. You know, so we didn't watch the fourth episode yet because Joanne, we watched three. It was one of those things. I wanted to watch a baseball game. And I said, we got to watch Rose's show. She's coming up. So we watched the first <laughs> one. They're like, oh, this is really good. We watched the second one. Then third one. And then I think Joanne had something. As I said, she's the uh, network TV person. So she had okay. something. So she went into the room. I'm like, let's watch a fourth one. She's like, no, I want to, I have another, you know, but it's, and then you sit You're going to really like the fourth well, one. You, I'll tell you that right now. But, but you sit there and then you go, oh shit, I, I, I can't watch this until next week, which is funny because that's how we grew up. You know, we it's didn't know, and there was grow. no TV in summer. We didn't, I mean, basically you sat there and right. watched reruns. And I think it's, it's great though. I think, but for you, like with being in the Gilmore Girls, you know, people can now go back and watch all the Gilmore Girls. And now, you know, I had talked to you, last time I talked to you, you were going to a Gilmore Girl, uh, retreat, not retreat, but it was where they Band had this, this That's kept, right. It, it was in a town. Did they still do that? Yep. Yes, they, well, they did it. I think they did a smaller version of it, but that one was like two years in a row. I did, they had a fan convention and it was in Washington Depot, Connecticut. And like, 1100 people and then the second year was 1600 people it was really incredible to meet the people in person that said i watched this with my mother and now my daughter is watching it with me like it was generations of people the youngest fans were like 12 years old and there there were people there with their grandparents and they all still watch the show that's incredible to me that that's been on for that long i mean it's been years since it started i did it in 2001 to i think 2007 or so and uh I was in seven seasons, six seasons of it, I guess. Fans know so much more about what I did in that show than I do. They know every episode. It's incredible. But that's really fun. And now I think it picked up, you know, when it was on the air, I think people watched it, but not like compared to when Netflix started to stream it or it started to repeat like that and people could buy the DVDs. It has gained popularity. So I think people, you know, and they even said that the HBO Max people said that more people found hacks when there was already a second season because a lot of people wait until there's bingeable content. So there's two seasons of a show because they want to just like sit and watch it. And I love, I think you put it, or somebody put up this meme that said, if somebody said to you, Oh, you know, go to an eight hour movie, you'd be like, I'm not sitting in a movie theater for eight. That's no, funny. there's no way That's I could funny. see it. Oh, well, but would you like watch eight one hour episodes? Oh, of course I'll do that in a night. You know, it's like, it's so funny that people really want, to sit there and just immerse themselves in the world of a show. I did that with The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I, I think I watched the first season in two days. You know, I, I love when there's a bunch of them all in a row. Well, it's funny. It's like, with, and also, you know, with the thing upside of binging is 
you can as why people come back and watch it i think a lot of times is you get other people's opinion you're not going right. in firsthand like i watched that show peacemaker i don't watch any marvel stuff i don't I'm, whatever i i chris i was on chris Nancini's podcast he got mad because i didn't know there was between marvel and i don't know this stuff but i was like i never saw suicide squad but i saw some people go oh, this show is really great and i ended up binging it and i loved it and i think now like with hacks you know when you think about it some people who are older probably think, oh, yeah, we saw Punchline. That, you know, that was for anything like comedy. You know, it's nothing like a lockers at a comedy club. That doesn't happen. And right. I think what people, when they sit there with hacks, and then now I think with Reboot also, people are going to say, this is really good. And and that's the thing. We, we, we're not, we're not, we're investing our time. We're not going in blind. And when you right. sit there, and then you have someone to bitch at if it, if you don't like it, you go, oh, you know, that movie's sort of soft or this show. Yeah. But it's one of those things, I think it's a great time for actors. And now for you, it must be great because there's got to be a lot more roles now. Because, you know, uh, you know, women, women in Hollywood for a long time, you guys were limited. And, you know, as we're getting older, you know, there are women, older women are getting casted a lot more. You never saw that back. You know, you look at even That's now right. sometimes someone who's 65, a guy is married to an actress who's like 40. 40 and you're like, oh, you know, that, that doesn't happen a lot in life. But, but what have right. you seen? Have you seen the door opening and also with the diversity because yeah. there's more roles? How has that affected you? I feel like now I've just embraced, I've, I had a um, an agent years ago that said to me, oh, you're just going to really hit your stride past 45. And I remember at the time, you know, when you're a 20 year old, when you're a 20 something person hearing that, you're like, what do you, I got to wait 20 years for something good to happen? But I, I knew what he meant because I was a character actor always in college. Every play I did, I, I was playing, you know, my idols of TV shows were like Doris Roberts, Kathleen Freeman, Mary Wicks, you know, Margaret uh, Olsen. And I loved older actors. And I loved like, you know, if I watched the Beverly Hillbillies, I loved Granny and Mrs. Drysdale. Like I wanted to be those roles. So when I decided during the pandemic, I was like, you know what? I want my natural hair color to grow in. I feel like I have gotten more um, auditions now, chances with uh, gray hair, which I love because I was like, somebody's got to be the older lady. You know, we can't all try and keep looking in our late 50s, try and look like we're in our 30s. And I've just always wanted to be the older lady who's like the mother or the grandmother or the, you know, the older lady on a show. So, but what I find that's happening lately is I think that roles that used to be like, well, the chief of staff and the editor of the newspaper and the senator used to only be like, well, that has to be a guy. They are making those roles now for women. Like a police chief can be the woman and, and you know, editor of the newspaper can be a woman. And I, I find um, the roles to me that say she's 50 to 60 are a lot more interesting than they were when I was in my 30s. Now... Back to reboot. What's it like to work with Steve Levitan? How do you pronounce his name? Levitan. Levitan. Yeah. Who's you know when you think about it, it was, it just shoot me and and Modern Family. I mean, just the the guys like golden. I mean, he's like a golden. Like right. he's one of those people that he doesn't get the recognition. Like just shoot me was an amazing show. It was so well written. Really. What's yeah. what's it like when you go? I mean, that's like you, you know you know the script's going to be good. I mean, I'm sure right. as any actor, you've read stuff and you go, holy crap, this is awful, but it's a job and you have to do your job as an actor and you deliver it the best you can. But right. what's it like when you go into a project and you know? It's going to be golden. I mean, you know, the words are going to just jump off the page and the lines are going to be funny. I mean, what is that like as an actor? 
it's really exciting and it's really like they're so cool over there that even if you want to pitch an idea they'll even listen to it and you're like i can't improve on these scripts they're they're incredible and just like when you get the new script now everything's delivered over you know before the, it would hit your doorstep and you leaf through it now you have to scroll through it find your lines it's like exciting when the new episode comes across the email and you get to see oh i get to say this this time and oh i get a scene with her this is so great it's very it's really exciting and honestly like sometimes with both hacks and reboot i'm such a fan of the show i don't deeply read the entire i read my scenes of course and learn them but i'm such a fan i would watch them whether i was in them or not so i sometimes don't love to know every single thing that happens i didn't read the first two because i'm not in them it was so fun to sit in the theater on the premiere night and watch oh this is the setup of it I just think they've created such a cool world with that show. He's really, really funny. He's super tall. So he's really fun to like talk to. You have to like talk way, way, I'm very short. So he's very tall and he's there a lot. You know, he's sometimes the creator of the show. You don't really see that much, but he's there. And, uh, and they, re they, they give you alternate lines between takes all the time, which for a second city actor like me is very exciting. Some actors I know don't like that. They like to learn their lines and know what they're saying. And when they come in and they shoot it, I love it when they say this time, try it this way. They throw out a lot of alternates to us and they're very open if, if we have suggestions too, but I mean, you can't, they're, they're incredible. The writers on that show are just, they, they throw out so many alternates and one's funnier than the next, I think. Now, what is it like when you watch yourself? I mean, you know, like hacks and reboot, you know, they're good shows. I mean, that's the, and you said you would watch them if you rented them, but are you critical on yourself? When you watch yourself, do you go, oh man, I, I should have delivered the line that way. Or do you just sit there and go, I'm just watching this as I'm not Josefina. I'm Rose Abdu watching the show. I'm not wow. Selma. I'm Rose Abdu watching the show. How do you watch? I mean, is it hard? Do you, do you, I mean, do you watch your scenes or, I mean, how does that work? Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by actors who go, oh, I never watch myself. How could you not watch? Mostly I think, uh, oh, they cut that. They cut things that I loved but I understand why they need to cut sometimes for time. So the only time I have to always watch things by myself first, and then I'll watch it again with John is the first take first pass through. When I watch, I have to get over the fact that, Oh, that scene in the kitchen with the Hannah and Marcus and Damien was so much longer and they cut it. Oh, that was so late at night when we were doing that and they cut most of it. But then I watch it again and go, no, they were absolutely right to cut it because the pace is better in this and that. So it's just like, yeah, I watch it and I have to get over like, wow, I look really tired. You know, like I watch it kind of critical first pass. I go, oh, my pants look short or whatever. And then I watch it again and really get into it as as a performer. I can watch it and enjoy it. I can't enjoy it the first time. In other words, I wa I enjoy it more the second time I watch what I did. Now, you know, I'm I'm doing a doing an interview show. You know, you always check IMDb and uh, it says here you're going to be in Beavis and Butthead. Yes. <laughs> now that's that's one of those shows again that was it was just funny. It was just so weird. It was just, and it, it took it was a cultural phenomenon. I mean, people were like, <laughs> you know, and uh, Cornholio and all this. How did that come about? And 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 are you trying to get more voice work? Because you know you you do you do voices. You've always you're trained in Second City. Are you is that something that yeah. you want to do a lot more? Because people always say it's it's a great job because you can show up in your pajamas. Yes. Well, during the pandemic, my voice agency switched uh they they kind of got rid of all the sort of rank and file people and kept just celebrities it seemed like anyway we just all found out in an email that we were no longer represented by them so i went with the same theatrical agency that i have 
um, I went with them for voiceover and all of a sudden I was getting so many animation auditions. So I was just thrilled. And I ended up, it's so funny because I was in Michigan visiting my sister and I got an animated audition for a show called Captain Fall for Netflix. So I just recorded it on my phone in her little closet room and I ended up booking it. And I think I've done like three of them. It's called Captain Fall. That's going to start on Netflix. And same thing, we have a little booth downstairs in a, in my wardrobe closet. I have a closet that's just for clothes for auditions. And uh, I went in there and John's my little studio engineer. He really has been so great to be my reader, my engineer, my manager, and he, my home manager rather. And we put that on tape. I think I play a principal and then I got it. And it was the greatest job ever. I got to go and record it and it was just super fun. And I'm doing another another job like that for um, Robert Smigel cast me in Hotel Transylvania. And I had worked on stage with him in a stage show with Bob Odenkirk, Conan O'Brien, Robert Smigel in a show called Happy, Happy, Good Show, live on stage in 1988 in the summer in Chicago. And he remembered me after, it was about 20 years later. He said, I really wanted you to do some voices for Hotel Transylvania. So I got to do it. Then he remembered me again for this new feature they're doing called Leo that Adam Sandler is also involved in. And I just love Robert Smigel. I think he's one of the funniest, most talented people. And I got to go to Netflix. Steve, talk about snacks. Oh my gosh, Netflix has the office in Burbank where the old Playboy studio used to be on Empire Drive. It's just snacks as far as you can see. I mean, it's Netflix feeds the people so well. The cafeteria is incredible. It's just snacks, 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 snacks. And I just did it last week. And I got to go record. It's the greatest. You're just you're just in the booth going, I'm creating a whole character. How I look does not matter. I can just look however I want. I mean, I always dress up for a voiceover audition even, but but I love the idea that I could play a character that physically I would never get cast as on camera. That's what I love about voice voice work. Now, uh, I see your post sometimes. You've seemed to become good friends with Sally Struthers. Which is yes. just, you know, it's once again, you know, you sit there when you're reminiscent. I mean, every, you know, I'm, I'll be 59 in the end of this month. And I still remember, you know, Saturday, you know, Saturday night, all in the family, right. you know, with, with, right. with my family. We would all watch it together. And what's that like? Because you, someone who's gotten to acting, that was such an iconic show. And then for you to become friends with one of the stars, I mean, once again, like with the Emmys, as a kid, you probably never thought, oh, yeah, oh, oh I'm going to hang out with Sally Struthers. Did that relationship start in Gilmore Girls? And how did you continue? Because a lot of times people do a show, and they don't see each other, and they whatever. How did, how did that come about? Right. That's a great question. And we, we met, you know, on Gilmore Girls, and I was starstruck when I met Liz Torres and Sally Struthers, because All in the Family was everything to me and my family. And she's just as, so much fun. And we had a ball on that whenever we would see each other, but I was only recurring on Gilmore Girls, so I didn't see her that much. Then she did a play. She she substituted, she had to understudy, I think, um, Penny Marshall in a play called Sheldon and Mrs. Levine. And my dear friend took me to see it. And I saw her on stage and she just blew my mind. Like she, she's just an incredible performer. And she was incredible as Gloria, but she, her range is so huge and she's so captivating when you see her live that I went, you know, backstage and I said, oh, you know, do you, we, I played Gypsy and she goes, of course, Rose, come on, you know, like we, we would hang out and eat lunch. But it had been like years since I had seen her after Gilmore Girls was off the air. So we kept in touch. She invited me to her birthday party and I went. And then when Gilmore Girls had a reboot, we just hung out all the time. And then she became like, I had never had a dog and. She had had many dogs, so she became the godmother of our first dog. And then she 
she's just become like a family member to me and I just love her. So I just went to see her in Young Frankenstein and she just played Frablucher and she held the audience in the palm of her hand. She has a solo that just stops the show. She's just incredible. And she's, I think, 70, about 70 years old. And you, she just leaps around the stage like a 30-year-old. I can't say enough about her. I just admire her so much. And it is really fun to be to be her friend because she tells like, you know, we'll just talk about average things. And then all of a sudden she'll tell a story about, you know, being in five easy pieces or something. You know, she's just, she's just had such an incredible career. Well, you have a cool group of friends. Like, what is it like when you guys all get together? Because, you know, you think, you know, and Kate's been on the show and Nia's been on the show and Susie's been on the show thanks to you and John, you know, just whatever. But what's it like when you guys get together? Because there's so much talent and I always laugh, you know, Jeff Martyr, I don't, John knows Jeff. I don't know if you know Jeff. He was a very good comic. And I used to write for a website with Jeff and a guy named Neil Bobel. And, you know, comics, whenever we talk, we tend to stand up because it's just a reaction. And, and, you know, I'm not a competitor, but some comics are very competitive. What is it like when you all go out to dinner? One, people must be like, holy shit. Oh, you know, there's, there's you know, uh, Josefina and there's uh, yeah. my Greek wedding and there's, you know, the office. What is it like when you guys all together? Is it just a blast? Because you've known each other. It is a blast. You, I have you, to say it's kind of a blast and it's really loud and really fun. And it's one of those things where I think we all are such fans of each other. That when when we make each other laugh, there's not no better feeling because you know you're making someone laugh that's also very funny. And it's like uh they're not easy, it's not an easy audience, but it's super fun. You feel like just happy when you can make someone whose work you like admire and who can crack you up in real life too laugh, you know. And there's a lot of private jokes and a lot of I don't know what it's like for people who, who didn't uh who weren't around Second City, but I think Second City people might we might annoy regular person or whatever but i i just it's a lot of fun that's all i can say it's a lot of fun and a lot of a lot of very supportive um of each other and and really like it's been exciting to see people's careers take off and you know i got to go to new york and see Susie on broadway in potus incredible to, to just know that we were like hey we both toured with second city and you know went to different cities and packed our little red bag that said second city and now She's on Broadway. Like, I couldn't be more proud of my friends. And, you know, Kate has done incredible things. I love seeing her, um, you know, just the success of The Office. She she gets recognized everywhere we go. She is so distinct looking and people are, she's so good with the fans. That's another thing I love about my friends that when they get recognized, they're very kind. Like, Mia gets stopped. You go through a, you know, it has been years since the pandemic, but you go through a mall with her and she's like, I said, if you go to a Greek restaurant with Mia, it's like being with a beetle. Like, she's like... <laughs> It's it's incredible and people and they're very gracious and stop to take pictures and we all try and do that you know no none of my friends who have had a lot of success are are you know abrupt with people who approach them because it's not lost on us how special it is that people even care about what we're doing. So what's in the future for you, Rose? What's coming up? I mean, so hacks? coming up. Um, I'm yeah. I'm. They're talking about the third season and I've heard a rumor that they want me to do more. Than, um, than just four, I think of the, the next eight, if there's going to be eight in season three, um, I think I'm going to be in more of them. I hope all eight of them. And they're working that out now. I think that's going to start the end of November. I'm, I did uh, an appearance on Ghosts for CBS, that a show that I, I didn't know about. I know a friend from Second City, John Hartman, he was on that. So I started watching it because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be, I have this role on this show. I got that from making a tape in my sister's sun porch when I was on vacation in Michigan. So there are very good things about being able to audition from anywhere. 
and I sent it in and I got cast and I went to Montreal, the most lovely cast and really, really funny people on that show. I just, I'm a huge fan of that show now. So that's going to air sometime in, I think, November. I'm in a movie called Something from Tiffany's with um, uh, Zoe Deutsch, and that's going to start, I think, around Christmas time. So I have a couple things going. I'm really praying for a season two of Reboot because I'd love to do more more of Selma. I want to explore that character more and have different scenes. I got it really, it's funny that John wanted me to watch Jackass and I said, I- I'm not going to like that. I, I don't want to watch that. And he's like, no, just check it out. I laughed so much. I was embarrassed how much I laughed. Oh my gosh. So I got to meet Johnny Knoxville and he said to me, I really hope we get to do a scene together. He wrote me a private message telling me how funny he, he loved my scenes in Reboot. And I said, I really want my character to work with you. He's doing such a great job in the show. I'm just such a fan of his from the, those movies, which I can't believe I love, but I did. And uh, he's fantastic on this show, too. Really good. Well, that's awesome, Rose. I want to thank you for uh, coming coming on the show again for the third time. You're right up there with well, Wendy Liebman's done it five or six times, and Rich Scheidman's oh, done it like five times. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I love your questions, and you make me think about things that I haven't thought of, and I just think you're a terrific interviewer. Thank you. And uh, now, people, can they, can they get in touch with you anyway? Yes, please um, find me on Instagram at, at Rosebdo, my name, R-O-S-E-A-B-D-O-O, and that's, uh, you can message me, and I read them all. I try and get to get to all of them. So people, go follow her. Follow me on Instagram, I'm Cooper Talk one because there's another Cooper Talk. And uh, Twitter, I'm at Cooper Talk. Uh, Facebook, Cooper Talk Radio. Email me at Cooper at CooperTalk.net. You can find over 930 episodes at CooperTalk.net. And remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. And don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you, Rose. Can I get a picture of us, Rose? Sure. Okay. You, it's funny. Every once in a while, you'd freeze up a little bit. It was weird. I know. You did, too. Yeah. But, but I don't we, have a great signal in this room. But we kept... Well, I'm, I'm in a closet, so... Okay, we'll do one more. Joanne told me I have to look in the camera, and I can't hunch. I'm like, that's what happens when you get oh, married. Okay. I hunch. Yeah, hunch. One more. Hold on. Ready? Just keep that position. That's awesome. Okay, one second. Joanne! Joanne! John! Yeah, tell John. Johnny! Joanne! Johnny! Jeez. She's coming. She's, it's so funny. She she works two days a week. She runs the Salvation Army office, but she uh, I can't get her away from TV. She watches Hallmark, MSNBC, and true crime shit. I couldn't hear Hi, you. Hi, Joanne. Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. Tell her what you said about being, nice being carpet yeah. ready. I said every time I see a post of you in a dress, I said you're